Well, we have been talking, I'm sure a lot of you guys have know, we've been talking about uh, politics for the last, I guess, month. We did a, um, a series called Politics and the Church, and that series is over. So I know for some of you, that's probably a great relief. So <laughs> I don't have another um, political message really um, in a lot of ways, but, but I think, um, and I didn't, I didn't want the series, the politics series to end the week before the election, just because it kind of seemed like that would be a little bit of a, I don't know, bit of a forced hand. But as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about tonight, I just think that um, if social media and the news is any indication of what the world is going through right now, um, it's just a, a really interesting time uh, because it's almost like the calm before the storm. And I think things are starting to ramp up and um, murmuring is starting to ramp up and um, all sorts of different things. And so I just think it's an amazing time. And so I, I just wanted to maybe tonight, uh, if you would let me, after we've been through this big theological, we did history, we did Bible, uh, to maybe just spend a few minutes leveling with you. Just really like um, one-on-one, maybe if we were just having coffee uh, together, uh, hopefully, and you guys know that we have coffee. If anybody needs coffee, you can grab a coffee anytime you stand up and grab some. But uh, I think um, on one hand, in all of this series, I never wanted to discourage uh, political involvement. I, I, I will, uh, I, some of you are probably relieved to know this, I actually did vote. I will never tell you who I voted for, uh, or who I did or did not vote for, or even which parts I voted for. Um, but I did vote, so I'm, never, I'm not trying to get you to not vote. But on the other, on the other hand, I've just become more and more convinced um, that the kingdom of God doesn't come through political activism and that there's just a different way of us seeing the world that's not so motivated by fear because I think we can see so much of the world. And so, Has anybody noticed that like, everyone is just starting to compare everyone else to Hitler right now? It's just like everyone thinks everyone is Hitler um, and I just think it's just trying to give us this really visceral sense of fear. And I just think there's a way to see the world that's not so afraid all the time. And, um, and I just want you to know this, that the kingdom of God is neither strengthened nor weakened by what happens on Tuesday. I just think that's really important, uh, to me to, to know that it's like, cause some people are so afraid that like the Christian thing is going to be forever advanced or forever set back by the things that happen in the garden. And that's just not the way that the kingdom of God has always moved. The kingdom of God moves, you could say it like this, the kingdom of God moves almost more strong, more strongly uh, when there's opposition. So you just don't have to be afraid that the kingdom of God or the plans of God are thwarted and these things that a lot of ways uh, we don't have control. And I'm not wanting to minimize any of that. I know you guys have like really strong political opinions, a lot of you, and that's super great, super cool. I'm not wanting to minimize any of that, but maybe just to um, find a way to get a little, bit per- a little bit of perspective again, that there's something that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you believe that there's something bigger and more important and more exciting and more beautiful and more hopeful uh, than the things that happen um, this coming Tuesday. So I wanna spend a couple of minutes, just maybe a few minutes, on a few things, kind of like maybe odds and ends, loose ends that I think uh, God has continued to reveal to me over these next couple or these past couple um, weeks. I want to start with a really interesting quote. If you know me, you know I'm a sucker for a good quote, and I'm sure you uh, know you probably trust me to bring you all the good sizzly quotes. So I've got a doozy uh, for you tonight. This is a guy by the name of Stanley Hierwas. He is an unbelievable. Um, theologian. He's an incredible theologian. Time Magazine actually uh, rated him recently as America's best theologian. 
And so if you appreciate a ministry that looks anything like mine, without you knowing it, you actually owe a lot to Stanley Hirewas. He's a guy just incredibly courageous, incredibly honest. So somebody asked him a little while ago, like what he thought was, what's the Christian responsibility when it comes to uh, political activism? And so he was really brilliant. And he said, he said, well, the first thing I think Christians have a responsibility to not take it too seriously and to not believe that that's really how a Christian goes um, and changes the world. And then he has this quote. I just want to share it with you. I think it's so brilliant. He said this. He said, the election season is entertainment for people who are not in any way ready to do the actual work necessary to change the world. And I just think that is so, so profound and so brilliant. That, uh, and, and if you don't appreciate that quote, then you don't know what amazing entertainment has been provided to you the last 18 months. It's gripping. But he, he's just saying, he's saying this, that we can, we can distract ourselves with all of these things that um, in, in a way that insulates ourselves from our own responsibility in changing the world. I don't know if you know this, but politics are inherently coercive, which means this, they're forcing people to do things that they, that's the whole idea. Politics is essentially 51% of the population telling the 49% how to live whether or not they want or, you know what I mean? They just have to do it. That's kind of the idea of politics. Uh, the kingdom of God is so different, though, it, because it says in the word, Paul says that the kingdom of God is without coercion. And so for us to think that the way that God works um, is through those things um, is, uh, has a lack of understanding, on, I think, in how God works. And some of the concepts that we've talked about in this past month, uh, mainly the idea of rejecting the notion that the primary way that we bring change to the world is through the voting booth, if you are to believe me when I say that that's not the case, I think it requires actually a lot of courage on your part. It's a scary way um, to see the world. And, and whereas there's a lot of Christianity right now that thinks like they, they just want to say like, here's God's position. Here's the person you're supposed to vote for. Like, here's your candidate and here's how you should vote. And they think that that's being like really courageous. I just don't think that's being courageous in a day like this. I think it's incredibly easy to just take sides um, and, and point out like the scapegoat. And it's especially easy whenever you're convinced that God is on your side. And both sides are convinced that God is on their side. I think it's a much harder thing to stay centered as a Christian. I think it's much, a much harder thing to stay loving. I think it's a much harder thing to stay kind as a Christian, even when the world is trying to consistently egg you on to not be kind. I don't know if you ever like read through your Facebook. I could just think of a thousand snarky things to say all the time. Because, I, because I'm like, I'm just a good arguer. Like, I, 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 I just make a good point. And so it's just so easy. I just see things, and I'm just always tempted to make some snarky comment to people all the time. But I just feel like, as a representative of Jesus Christ, there's something bigger um, than any of that. And, and I think that in a lot of ways, when it comes to poli- politicians, we've turned politicians into a kind of a caricature, which are just these blown-up, exaggerated um, pictures of who they really are. And depending on how you place it, we either place like unrealistic hope or unbelievable blame uh, on these people. And and I just think um, there's no reason for that amount of hope or that amount of blame on on these people. We've, We've said this before in these rooms, but most of the things that we're scared about in life never happen. You know that? So it's like, again, it's, it's, if, if you believe both sides, what we're, what we're dealing with is Hitler versus Hitler today. Because, and, and every politician throughout like, my life, I can Google and I can find uh, Hitler mustaches on every single uh, president in my life. 
because they have always, um, they've always compared um, the president to Hitler. And I think it's just a way for us to viscerally get us to uh, feel like something is um, dangerous and something is really scary. Or, of course, the Christians, you know, instantly go to Antichrist. Anybody remember eight years ago, everyone was positive Obama was the Antichrist? 16 years ago, everyone was positive George W. Bush was the Antichrist. And all throughout, like, we have always been convinced that people, like, that if we elect this person or we elect this person, that that is just the end of time. And it's just, it's just a cheap way to motivate us um, by fear. And I think about Jesus in, in a world like this that's constantly trying to pull us to the left or pull us um, to the right. Jesus comes in Revelation chapter 4 and says to John, he says this phrase, come up here. You know what I mean? Not to the left and not to the right. He says, he says come up here instead. And that's not to disengage from what's happening in the world, but there is a way to see through the love of Jesus Christ that is not just on the same plane as everybody else, where you can see things, uh, you can see things in, um, in different ways. Have you ever noticed this? I've just personally noticed that in a political season, no one repents. You know, nobody, nobody ever uh, repents. Then the reason is this, the whole idea is that the reason everything is so messed up is because it, of them. It's their fault. And so then when, when something bad comes out, we just say, well, yeah, that's bad, but it's not as bad as him. Or, you know, it's not like they, they never say, sorry, that was horrible. You know what I mean? It's always like, well, it's not as bad as this guy or it's not as bad as this guy. I think like in a way, politics is like a pill that we take that immunizes us from like repentance. It's like something that, that prevents us from needing uh, to see the things that are wrong um, with ourselves, because again, in politics, it's all about what's wrong with the other guy. And you can see this, that, that when, um, like, like, you have one side here, and then something violent happens on the other side. There's a violent protest. And then all of a sudden, people are so motivated to point out, like, these animals are violent and horrible, and I can't believe these people are, vi-, you know what I mean? And then, like, something violent happens on their side. Silence. They don't say anything. The reason is because they're just thinking in political ways. You know what I mean? They're just living in the same plane uh, as everybody else. John Wesley, you guys know John Wesley. Uh, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Lived in the uh, 18th century. Well, in October, on October 6th, 1774, he said this about the election hundreds of years ago. This was, he's commenting on the British general election, and he says this, I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election and advised them, here you go, three things, John Wesley, to vote for the person they judged most worthy. It's a good one. How about this one? To speak no evil of the person they voted against. And number three, to take care that their spirits were not sharpened against those who voted on the other side. I just think that's such an amazing thing, to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those who voted on the other side. And I just feel like as people who, whose job it is on this planet to represent Jesus Christ is that we have a re- responsibility to not only be like co- concerned with being right all the time, but we also have a responsibility to keep our spirits open and our hearts soft towards the people uh, of the world. You re- you'll recall, of course, what the first sin was in the Bible. Can you all think back to the garden eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the promise was this, if you would eat this, you would be like God, knowing good uh, and evil. You would, all of a sudden, you would know what God knows. But then, of course, Paul comes in 1 Corinthians 13, and he says this, that we always know in part. 
Like everything that we know, we always know in part and we prophesy uh, in part. And we just live in a season where people are walking around completely convinced that they are 100% right and the other person is 100% wrong and they, they never have the humility to even question the way that they see things. And I just think in so many ways, um, it blinds us from seeing, uh, seeing things real because, again, we're just on the same plane as everybody else. Luke uh, chapter 18, Jesus tells this parable. I don't have it on the screen, Jesus, I want you to hear it. Um, he tells this amazing parable, and I'm just going to read it to you, so try to hear these words. He says this, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Anyone else ever met anybody like that? Great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Here's the parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Hear this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't sin, he says. And I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a, and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, the other guy, stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's the application. My fear is that in a season like this where we get so wrapped up in the emotion of the season... And the way that we see the world is that we, that we walk around and our posture is this. Well, I know that I don't have everything figured out. I know that I do a lot of dumb things all the time. But I just thank you, God, that I'm not a Democrat. You know what I mean? It's like, I know I got problems, but thank you, God, that I'm not like those Republicans. You know what I'm saying? And, and what's, what's hilarious about it to me is that you have to be spiritual to even be able to see that. It's just like, just like Jesus says, he says, come up here to this place where you can see not only the speck in your neighbor's eye, but also the log in your own. And it's just such a challenge, I think, to me to come into this place where I have ways of seeing the world, but I'm, I'm deliberately not making my heart too sharp towards the people uh, that, I, that I think otherwise than. And I just, I'm, I'm really excited. Is anybody else excited that in a couple days, like, it's all going to be over? It's the best. Like, I'm like, I'm not even sure I care anymore. Somebody hit me on the head, wake me up on Wednesday. But I just feel, <laughs> yeah, I just feel like um, what's going to be left Wednesday is a bunch of Christians who have been so involved in this unbelievable um, unbelievably dramatic thing, and then, all, and then like in a moment, it's all going to be gone, and I think we're all going to feel like in a lot of ways really scattered, because what has been removed is like the main battle that we've been fighting for the last 18 months, you know what I mean, to where it's like we're not sure who we're fighting anymore, and now that this is over, like I'm not sure what I'm going to post on Facebook anymore, you know what I mean, it's just like it's, it's just all gone uh, in an instant, and the question is this, like who are you going to be? And so, so uh, in the remaining time that we have tonight, what I thought would be kind of cool is maybe my heart is this. I just want to start the process of realigning myself right now with who I believe God has called me to be. 
And so, and, and, and even if you're like so furious and so involved right now in the world, you're like, I can't even do it. Well, this could just be a time for you to just get ready. You know what I mean? Because like come Wednesday, it's going to be a chance for you to like rediscover um, who you are and, and what, it, what it is about you that makes you like a follower of Jesus Christ. So these are like, I guess I have three questions for you tonight that are um, maybe realigning little sentences. So if you're a note taker, these are three things you could write down uh, in hopes to realign us to post-election Christianity. Here we go. Number one is this. Who is your family? Who is your family? Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 is where I'd like to read. It says this, as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, and they want to speak with you. Hear this. Jesus asked, who is my mother and who is my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I think in a lot of ways, that wouldn't you agree that that kind of seems like kind of ugly and kind of hard, um, because I'm, I'm no Catholic, but Mother Mary was pretty great. She was pretty cool. She was like a pretty great, la- like, I really like, I really like her, and it seems like he's kind of disrespecting his mom when he turns and says, like, who's my mom? And then he points to his disciples and says, this is my real family. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a hard thing to say, but I think what he's saying is this, my next slide, if you're a follower of Jesus, other people who follow Jesus are your family. If you're a follower of Jesus, other people who follow Jesus are your family. And um, if that seems obvious, let me say this, that the church in America has completely forgotten that. Uh, Like, we have made little other tribes that are much more family than other people who follow uh, Jesus. Jesus is saying this, that the bonds that hold together Christians is even thicker than blood. And I don't think he, he's not saying that family is not important. I don't think he's insulting Mother Mary, but he is saying this, that there is something so deep about being people who follow Jesus Christ together, and we can just never neglect um, that type of family. That's what, for me, is so concerning about, like, the left or the right, is that we end up finding this deep camaraderie with the people who see like us uh, politically, and, then, and so, and this, this like enmity between, even, even when they're Christians who, and they see totally differently than us in the political sphere, we end up like getting this deep camaraderie with the Republicans or the Democrats or, or whatever to where it's like, there's nothing more strong than the connection between fellow Democrats. And there, there's actually a Bible word for that. And the word is idolatry. <laughs> Uh, the idea that there's something bigger than the blood of Jesus that unites us is idolatry. And, and, and so there's just, there just needs to be a time when we come together. Let it be Wednesday. Fine, Wednesday. We'll just we're blind rage up until Tuesday night. But Wednesday, may we remember that the people who are our family are the body of Christ. These are people that we love deeply and we're com- uh, committed to. My next slide, in the name of protecting family values, we abandon the family we're supposed to be most connected to, the people of God. You know, and whatever it is, our political opinions, I think it can just be, we can, we can divide, put like these big walls of division between us and other Christians thinking that we're doing something in the name of God and we're not. 
because we're neglecting the thing that he wants us to hold the most sacred, which is our fellow Christians and our fellow uh, believers. Your family is not the Republican Party, and your family is not the Democratic Party. Your family is the people of God. Is that simple? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Number two is this. Who is your enemy? Realigning. Who is your enemy? Because we, we forgot accidentally. We accidentally forgot. Uh, here's a hint. It can't be people. Here's the, the scripture that I'm sure some of you see coming. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in, the, in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And I really think this, that the number one thing that has got us off mission in the last 2,000 years as the body of Christ is the mistake of thinking that there is another human that's our enemy. And Paul, Paul says this, that the moment we believe that our enemy is another person, we've already lost. And he's saying this, that, that our real enemy is exactly what he says in this scripture. We can just say it plainly, and we can say the devil and his minions. And that's who, uh, that's who we are here to fight. We're not here to fight the evil, uh, this guy, the evil, this, like those are not our enemies, um, the people that we fight are the devil and his minions. And so you might be thinking, well, how do you, how do you fight that battle? So glad you asked. The answer is this, prayer and love of neighbor. That's how you fight the battle, prayer and love of neighbor. And you might be thinking like, yeah, we know, David, we know. Well, then here's a question for you. When is the last time you prayed for the candidate that you didn't vote for? I know your answer, never. You never pray, and I never will. Because they're the enemy. They're, li- they're, they're, they're the devil's tool. You know, like, it's, it's, it's just crazy. I just think Jesus is saying to us, come up here. Come up here to where you see not only the speck in their eye, but the plank in your own. And how we see that there's like something bigger happening than just quarreling between people. That there is a battle to fight, and we are to fight it, but we fight it through prayer and love of enemy. And any earthly battle that we fight that takes us out of prayer, and any earthly battle that we fight that takes us out of love of enemy, uh, we're losing the real battle. We're, we're, we've like neglected why we're supposed to uh, be here. I've talked about us versus them thinking and how it can be such a destructive force in the Christian faith. And it actually can be a cool thing. Us versus them is fine as long as you have the right them. As long as it's always them which are principalities and powers, it's the devil and his minions, but it's never us versus other people. That's not the way the kingdom of God uh, advances. Number three, question number three, this is a short message, but number three is this, what is our job here? May this help realign you post-election. What is our job here? So if we believe that, uh, the fa- that our family is the people of God and we believe that the enemy is the devil, well, how do we relate to people who aren't in either of those categories? They're neither, uh, they're neither the devil nor um, Christians. So uh, we could use, use the, the phrase in our particular term here. Let's just call them the world because that's what the Bible oftentimes calls them, uh, the world. So how do we relate to the world is the real question. And sometimes I just feel like I'm so shocked at how often I need to remind people about John 3.16, 
for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Of course, you probably know this, that the Bible uses the word world to dis, uh, describe multiple things. But in John 3.16, the world means people. And he's saying this, God so deeply loved people that he gave his only son. And I, I don't know if you know this, but... Um, God is deeply lovesick with people, and he deeply loves them. And it's not just the people that you agree with, but he really, really, truly, deeply loves all the people of the world. Red, yellow, black, and white. Remember that song? He loves the little children of the world, and, and all of them, even the ones that you don't um, relate to. And so, so in Jesus is our example on how we are to relate to the world. And so how does he relate to the world? How does Jesus relate to the world? Well, first and foremost, he relates to the world by serving the world. That's it. So Jesus comes and he heals the sick and he touches the outcast and he loves the unlovely. And he comes the, like God in flesh. He comes to serve people. And found in the life of Jesus is our job, which is to love and serve the people of the world. Luke 22, verse 24 says this, then they began to argue, the disciples, among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, listen to this, in this world, hear this, the kings and great men lord it over people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, talking about the followers of Christ, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. And then hear this question in verse 27. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table, meaning to eat, the one who sits at the table, or the one who serves? Who, uh, who's more important? The one who sits at the table, of course. Hear this, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. I think it's an amazing thing to say, like, this is God in flesh. And he comes and he spends his time among the poor, caring uh, for the needy. You... Jesus, you will always find him serving broken people. That's where you will always uh, find Jesus. And so, so for us, Outlet 2016, as we're seeking to realign ourselves to what it means to be a real follower of Jesus Christ after Tuesday, I think it's important that we all come back to the idea that we are here to serve the world. That's what we're here to do. Your guy might lose, your guy might win. We are here to serve the world. And there's a time when this is all gone and we're roaming around. We realign ourselves with this. We're here to serve the world. And we're here to care for the widow. We're here to care for the orphan. And that's, that's the thing that we're here to do. Not with our vote, but with our life. You know what I mean? Like, like we're actually supposed to actually care for actual widows. You know what I mean? Like it's not like a theoretical idea. People will say like, I love the poor. Name three. He's like, I love, I love the orphans. Do you know any? I just think it's so, is there, is there any meaningful way in which you are actually laying down your life for other people? Or, or have you just voted and you think it's good? You know what I mean? It's like there's, there's one side who thinks like, well, I voted, I voted to care for the poor. So is that cool? Am I, am I good? No, that's not good. That's not good. It's you that's supposed to care for the poor. And then there's another side that says like, I don't want the government caring for the poor. I want to care for the poor. Okay, well, are you doing it? Are you actually doing it? 
And so regardless of what side you fall on, regardless of what you vote, you do find yourself again with the responsibility of actually caring for actual people. And it's just so easy to theoretically love people. I've noticed this in my own life. It's so easy to like talk about being caring for the poor. You know what I mean? And then like, am I actually caring for the poor? It's so different to theoretically love and serve people versus like actually loving and serving in particular people. And so as all of this madness ends, we just realign ourselves with what we're here to do is to love and serve actual people in our actual lives with our actual hands. You know what I'm saying? I guess this is maybe my, my spiel sort of with like apologetics. You know, apologetics is kind of like where you try to logically argue the existence of, of God and try to convince people um, about like whether or not God is real. And I'm, I know there's a, definitely a place for that. And I'm sure there's people who come to Christ through apologetics. I just don't personally know any of them. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like it's, I just feel like it's arguing. It's just more, it's just more fighting. Um, for me, I have seen people come to Christ and the way that I see them come to Christ, initial faith in God and um, following Jesus Christ, I see it coming through them experiencing and witnessing unconditional love. That's the thing. It, it wasn't like I, I, I told them about, you know, like the, the, bal- you know, like the, all the stuff in the sky that proved there might have been a flood. Like, I just don't think that's winning over a lot of people f- to Christ. It's just more fighting. But there is a way for us to represent Christ to the world, and it's with our love of neighbor, our unconditional love and service uh, towards people. And I know you don't like that because I don't like it either. I talk pretty for a living. This is my job, if you can believe it. Is that sick? This is what I do for a living. It's hard to believe, I know. But this, so like I want, I want to find the scripture that says, David, as long as you talk right and as long as you believe right, you don't have to bother yourself with actually caring for real people. Like, I want that. I want to find that scripture. I want, like, I want to find the scripture that says, as long as you tell other people that what we need to do is care for the poor, I don't have to actually care for the poor. Like, I love, I love that idea. I want to be held accountable for nothing but my preaching. That'd be great. Uh, but if the words of Jesus are to be believed, uh, it's not about the things that we say or even the things that we believe, but the way in which we love the world. Jesus says this, you cared for me when you cared for the poor. Did you care for Jesus? Are we able to realign ourselves after all of this craziness to being like, we are people who care for Jesus when we care for the poor. We go and visit Jesus in prison when we visit people in prison. We go and clothe Jesus when he's naked, when we go and clothe the naked. We care for the orphan, we care for the widow, and in doing so, we care for Jesus Christ, and that's really what counts. And so I just, don't, I just don't want us to find at the end of our incredibly long and taxing and bloody war that we are enduring here, finding ourselves like not sure what our next battle is to fight on Facebook. The answer is none of them. We don't fight our battles on Facebook. We don't fight our battles with like quick little sarcastic comments or, you know, meaningful blog posts or anything. Like we, we fight our battles with prayer and love of a neighbor. May we realign, maybe, may we realign ourselves to our family which is the body of Christ, may we realign ourselves with our enemy, which is who? The devil and his minions. And may we realign ourselves with what our job is here, which is to serve and love 
the world. So when it comes, I think when it all comes down to it, like when it comes to how you spend your time and when it comes down to your, uh, how you spend your mental energy, my next slide, if it doesn't make you love God more, it's not that good for you. You hear that? And, and continuing on, next slide, if it doesn't make you love people more, it's not that good for you. So, so however we have been spending our time in the last 18 months, can we just admit that some of that was not good for us? It's not good for me. Like I, so, sometimes I like go, I wake up uh, to pee at like 2 a.m. and I like flip, uh, you know, and I like flip open Facebook on my phone and I get so huffy I can't like go back to sleep. And I just know that that's not good for me because it's not, it's not causing me to love God more and it's not causing me to love people more. And so I, I just think, I, I remember reading somewhere that God is love, you know? And so like I think as... As I draw nearer to God, I draw nearer to love. And I think, in fact, in fact, these little statements, I think you could actually, you could actually judge most ministries like this. Think about Outlet. Maybe you've been coming to Outlet for the past year, let's say. Well, here's the question. Has Outlet challenged you to love God more? And has Outlet challenged you to love people more? And if the answer is yes, then I think we're doing something. And if the answer is no, then we're wasting our time because God is love. As we continue to draw closer to God, we will be, um, we'll be challenged in unbelievable ways to love people that we previously thought uh, were deeply unlovable. As we prepare for communion tonight, I'm not going to keep you long. It's great. I have some statements. These are kind of like summary statements that I'm hoping will help to realign you come Wednesday. We need a, and, and even if you, maybe you can start doing it. I've been like spending the week trying to realign myself. Like, I, I, cast, I cast my ballot, and then I rested. I'm like, okay, it's done for me. And now I'm returning back to a pure heart, a soft heart, a gentle heart. The, sarc- the sarcasm is starting to melt away from me. The, the, the blackness of my heart is starting to melt away. And I'm coming back to the place where I remember who my family is. And I come back to the place where I remember, remember who my enemy is and what my job is here. These are some statements that I hope are realigning to you. Um, Number one is this, our family is the people of God. We said that our family is the people of God. May you realign with that. Number two, our enemy is the devil and his minions, never people. May we realign to that. Number three is this, our job is to love the world just like Jesus loved the world. And may we realign to that. And lastly, number four is this, our hope is in Jesus. The light is winning and there's no need to fear. May we realign with that. The light is winning. And that just changes the way that you see the world. You don't have to be so afraid of things that are outside of your control. You can trust Jesus, that his kingdom is coming, that goodness will always triumph over darkness. That's the whole story of Jesus, is that light came into the darkness and the darkness did not overcome the light. So we don't have to be afraid of that. So uh, as, as we close um, in communion, we'll receive communion as we always do. I just want you to spend a minute, if you would be willing to, just spend a minute examining your own heart, maybe realigning. And can you, can you picture in your heart this, this image of your heart and honestly evaluate? Think about, if it helps, think about both candidates. Think about both candidates' supporters. Um, and look at your own heart and see where has scar tissue built up there? Where has blackness built up there? Where is bitterness built up there?
And then just as they pass, just spend a minute with God and just, just envision that stuff melting away to uncover something that has been there all along, even if it's been covered, which is a heart that's kind and gentle and soft, motivated to love people. And so just, just, just picture that. May we begin to turn our faces back to Jesus and see the world the way that he sees it. Jesus, can you give us your eyes? May we see the world the way that you see the world. Let's just spend a moment in that place, and then we'll take communion together. You guys can go ahead and pass the elements. final this final week before the election I'd like us to read together uh, the prayer of St. Francis it's just something I can't get away from 
just find it so profound. It's two slides. Um, and here we go. Let's read it out loud. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying to self that we are born to eternal life. So Father, tonight we come before you. Let me just remember the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. We remember that we are so, in so many ways, undeserving of what you've given us. But we're just grateful. So we exit out, if even for a small moment, we exit out of fear and we find our way back to gratitude. And there's not a single person in this room that doesn't have profound things to be grateful for. No matter the challenges that would face our nation or us individually, we find our way back to gratitude. We say that you're good. We say that we trust you. We let the fear bleed away. We let the anger bleed away. And at your table, we let the hatred bleed away. And we say this, make me like you. May we become people who can see the world as you see the world. Forgive us for these monsters that we have created in our own heads from the people who are so deeply loved by you. And so we come to your table. And we say that we're grateful to you. And we love you. And we receive you tonight. And so Jesus Christ, we remember your death. We proclaim your resurrection. And we await your return. We remember your death. We proclaim your resurrection. And we await your return. So let's eat the bread and drink from the cup together. one more thing that I'd like to do uh, tonight, which is different. I, I don't personally know any other churches that are doing this right now. It's so unimaginable. It's so unthinkable. Um, but I think it's important. But I, what I want to do, um, both, both for them and for us, I want us to get ready for this. I want us to pray for the candidates and pray for their families. And it's a test for you, because I'm going to put their pictures on the screen. And I just wanted to remind you that these are actual people. Um, these are people who are loved every bit as much as you by God. And if God doesn't love them, he doesn't love you either. So these are children. These are sons. These are daughters. 
So just, just try. And, it, and if you sense that in your heart, you're like, God, I can't even stand the... That's called sin. <laughs> and we repent and we move on. It's true. And we, in, we endeavor in our hearts. I know this is hard. We endeavor in our hearts to see people the way that Jesus sees them. So go ahead and put the picture up. Just be aware of your heart for a second. People with hopes and dreams and families. I wonder if you would imagine in your own heart every dirty thing that you've ever done being on the news for the last 18 months, how proud you'd be. I wouldn't be proud. So just see them. Precious sons, precious daughters. Here's their names, just alphabetically by family. Um, Hillary Clinton, it's her husband Bill, and it's her daughter Chelsea. Then you have Donald Trump, you have his wife Melania, you have his son Donald Jr., his daughter Ivanka, his son Eric, his daughter Tiffany, and his son Baron in the far right corner. On the bottom left, you have the other candidates that I wanted to put on here. We've got Gary Johnson, Jill Stein, Evan McMullen. These are all the people that are having active campaigns right now. I just want you to, for a second, especially if you would notice the kids, um, people that didn't sign up for this, you know, like, I don't know why it strikes me as true that we're talking about people's dads and moms, you know, think about Baron right there. He's 10. I don't know if you can, I can imagine what life would be like for precious Baron there. You can, sign up for any of this. He's just a kid. Wants to play Xbox. You know what I mean? I think he, I think he needs our prayers. Um, and he needs us to stop being sarcastic jerks all the time. Too. We'll vote, but then we'll let these people go on with their lives with dignity. And we won't keep disrespecting them. And who, whichever one of these people ends up being our president, we'll honor them, we'll respect them, we'll pray for them, won't we? You can do that. We can keep praying for these precious people. Even, even if we have messed up by never praying for these people in our entire lives, we can start now. And it's not only good for them, it's good for us realigning, seeing precious sons and daughters of God. So can you pray? Are we going to pray? Here we go. Father God, we come before you, Lord, as your church, as people who you have instructed to pray. And we, we see these people, these precious people, and I use that word on purpose, these precious people on the screen. So many of them, so many flaws, so broken in so many ways. So maybe we have more in common with them than we realize. Uh, but we choose to see that there's, in each and every one of them, these are people who bear the image of God. And we repent for our slander. And we choose to see them the way that you see them. Give us eyes to see these precious people. We pray for the families represented here. Families that are getting ready to enter into the holiday season. These are are actual families. And we pray that you would fill their, their houses with joy. That you would help them to, to experience peace. 
to experience hope. May your light shine on them. May they experience your goodness. I pray that you would bring people alongside these people to support them and to encourage them. And the world can do it one heck of a job tearing people down. But we pray that your encouragement would find its way into these people's hearts. May these be people who experience your goodness and your kindness. Continue to grow them. Continue to teach them. Continue to help them. Give them wisdom. Whoever the president will be, my God, may you give them wisdom. Surround them with godly people. Will you pray for their hearts? They've gone through something that none of us have ever gone through, and most of us never will. We pray that, that you would heal those things that are broken. Pray for these kids who have seen such traumatic things. I've never seen, I've never seen my dad with a Hitler mustache online, but everyone here has. May you heal their hearts. Those little precious, um, their precious minds that the world is trying to, to, to take and distort, Lord, we just believe that they would be people who um, can hope and dream and laugh and play and have fun and celebrate, enjoy their families, enjoy their kids, enjoy their parents. We thank you, Lord. May you bless each and every person on this screen. We say thank you. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Everybody said, amen.